Economics, we've been talking about the basic things that um, are foundations for our life in God and we've, now we're talking about the, the biblical view of economics as in what it means, uh, what money means to the believer and what uh, God wants us to think about when it comes to money. We, um, we looked at uh, economics last week and Liz taught us that economic studies man's behaviour in relationship to wants and resources. And she has a little, little picture of this, says, I want everything. I suppose um, our society is full of, and I've used this word, dis-ease. As it, it's not rested, it's not content, it has a dis-ease about it. And I was reading a, an article in a UK paper, it says consumers seek status and identity through the goods they buy. That means they want to have um, positioning and identity, they want you to know them according to the stuff that they have. So when you see them, you'll say, oh, that man, he has got a special car or he's got a special house. That makes him a high up here. And so in our society in the West, um, we use buying and selling or consuming stuff as part of a, um, a gauge to tell you that we are wealthy or that we are important. And, you know, you look at and say, well, he's not very important because he doesn't live in a big house or he doesn't drive this sort of a car or he doesn't have that sort of a house. And so the, the things that we wear show us that we are better or different. So I have, um, you know, special shoes on, you know, and you look at my shoes and say, oh, those shoes are very expensive shoes. You know, they're called vans, you know. Vans are very expensive sand shoes and all children must or kids must have vans otherwise they're not cool. And so vans are the thing, you know. So the parents will go out and they'll spend a couple of hundred dollars on a pair of vans where you can go and buy exactly the same sort of sand shoe for $20 somewhere else. Why? Because the van's brand is seen to be the most important prestigious van and if the a brand, and if you wear a brand called Vans, then you're cool. You've got status, and that's what our society is about. It's about consuming, and it's about uh, doing all this stuff. But this is not the kingdom of God. And this is uh, the, the the article said it's created so kind of like a leapfrogging culture, which consumes, and it becomes a vicious cycle. Because once you've got the Vans, the next day somebody stamps on them, and they become dirty Vans then it's not good anymore. You've got to get a new set of vans. You know, it's like it's not, they always go out of date. I, I, every day we get stuff dropped in our letterbox. Every day you probably get the same stuff dropped in your letterbox. And I just pulled some out today of my letterbox to show you the sort of nonsense that our society is about. We, we get this sort of stuff. And you've seen it. You know, this is the gear that you get every day in your letterbox, isn't it? You get this every day. And, and in this stuff, this whole stuff is it's created to make you feel uncomfortable about what you have. And so if you take this Maya book and you open it up and you think, boy, wouldn't it be good to produce a magazine about Jesus like this and give it to every person in every household. Wouldn't that be fantastic to produce a magazine like this with testimonies of God's goodness and, 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 and uh, you know, miracles that have happened? Wouldn't it be great to do that? No, well, we've got to actually produce this one because it's about fashion. And fashion says, you know, you ought to be unhappy with the clothes that you're wearing now because they're new clothes out now. The old clothes that you're wearing maybe are not worn out, 
but they are not stylish anymore. And so what you have to do now, as you go through here, my handbag needs to be blue. The one that I've got is brown and it's not trendy anymore. So I need to buy a blue handbag. And so I have uncomfortable dis-ease because I can't have or I want to have. I have to work harder so I can get a blue handbag to go with my blue shoes. Dresses have to be floral, but last year they were striped. So you throw away all your striped ones and you pick up your floral ones. Oh, I don't want to go any further just in case there's bad stuff and, because it could be bad, couldn't it? I mean, all the stuff that comes through. Woolworths, you know, the fresh fruit people. These are all about lies. This is all lying stuff. They're all about beliefs that tell you that they're fresh food. You can buy a bag of onions for, for $4, a 10-kilo bag of onions for $4 down the fruit market down Kingston Road. I bought one. I put it up here. $4 for a 10-kilo bag of onions. Take some onions with you. They're all from Tasmania. They grow great onions. What is it in here? Tas, what, you know, $4 a kilo. They're the cheapest brand though, aren't they? They tell you lies. All this stuff is all about making you uncomfortable with the stuff that you have. And as you read it and as your children read it, they come up with ideas and they look through and they say, I want one of those, mum. And then all the pressure because you can't have what you want and somebody else has got it at school and you don't have it and you want it and it's just pressure and more pressure and more pressure and more pressure. And you know what? You could buy it all for you, you could have it all and you still would not be happy. Because happiness does not come from purchasing something. Happiness comes from walking with Jesus and having your life right with God. It doesn't come from stuff. Affluence and inequality also combine to produce crime. So because you've got a lovely pair of... What color are they? What is that? Is that... What? Orange? Pink? Peachy? You know... They stand out. I mean, Juliet was standing up here. She had these beautiful shoes on, and uh, I could see Michael looking. <laughs> and he thought, you know, he's got a friend at school, and she would like a pair of shoes like that. You know, so when Juliet's shoes go missing, maybe Michael <laughs> took them and gave them to his friend at school. You know, crime we look we envy we want we steal and so when you get more what you have to do is you have to buy more security you have to buy a secure door a big lock on the door with keys all the way down to stop people from breaking into buy and or to to steal your stuff and so you're not happy if you've got the stuff because you have to protect the stuff that's economy in the world that's the western grid that's the way we think in the west Breaking the 10th commandment is big business for us in the Western society. Can you remember the 10th commandment? Here it is. He said, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, his holden utility, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. He says, you should not look at what your neighbor has and want what your neighbor has. And yet our whole society is built upon you looking and wanting what somebody else has. That's what our society is built upon. That's what our, our world is like here. 
Covetousness, this is the word in the Hebrew. It means to desire, to covet, to take pleasure and to delight. It means to desire something to be desirable, to greatly desire or to greatly... um, In the Greek it means this, having more, receiving more, wanting more. In ethics we find the extension of the meaning to being outdoing others, being superior than others, taking precedent or excelling and forging ahead at the expense of others. It it comes uh, and develops into words like taking advantage of, taking by force, violating or breaking laws, greedily desiring things and asserting oneself. And so all those words and all those things are connected to covetousness, the 10th commandment. Thou shalt not covet. And yet how old society says every day, covet, covet. It's built upon you coveting. Economy is built upon you lusting after something that you can't have, saving it up to get it. It's not whether your shoes wear out, it's whether they are fashionable. It's all about covetousness. But what's contentment? What is the cure? The cure to comfort, covetousness is contentment. How do you get contentment? Well, I think there's three truths that we can focus on today that give us contentment. And I want you to just think about these things. God owns everything. God controls everything. And God provides everything. Those three truths will give you contentment. God owns everything. God controls everything. And God provides everything. Regardless of what we think, God owns everything. You should think about that. Why does God own everything? You are not eternal, so you are temporal. Your life here is temporal. So you can grasp with your hand something in life, But you cannot keep on holding it because one day you will let go of it. You may hold it for a hundred years, but one day you will have to let go of it. And when you let go of it, that's when you will discover it didn't belong to you. It's God's. You will go to a place where you can't take it with you. It will remain here. And it will still be in the possession of God. That's why you can't take anything with you. That's why it's all God's. You might think it belongs to you, but it can be gone in two seconds. God can remove it just like that. So here's the truth. God owns everything. In 1 Chronicles 29, verses 11 to 12, it says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty. It says, For all that is in the heaven and in Earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. That's what it says in First Chronicles. It says in Psalms 24 verse 1, it says, The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and all who dwell therein. 
It all belongs to God. Now we know that the Bible teaches us that the devil has influence and it's his world. We know that it belongs to God, but the devil is only temporal and so that in the end God will take back what is his anyway. We know that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 it says, in whom the God of this world had blinded the minds of them that don't believe. And so that the, there is a God who's in control of this world who is not Jehovah God. He's the devil and he's actually working his means around people's life. He doesn't own it. He's just controlling it and influencing. He's blinding the minds of people. And Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 2 tells us that we were under his control once too. He says, as for us, we were dead in our transgressions and sins in which we used to live when we followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So we used to be under his control as well. He's out there. He's controlling everything. He's controlling the newspapers. He's controlling the media. He's controlling the Western society. He's controlling capitalism as he's controlling communism. He's controlling socialism. He's controlling every uh, false religion that there is. He's controlling it all. He's deceiving everybody. And he's got control over everybody's lives in that regard. But it's temporal because we know his end is coming. And he knows his end is coming. The Bible says he's thrashing around in these last days because he knows his end is coming. He's going to find judgment. And when that takes place, everything belongs to God. All comes back to God. We came from dust and we go back to dust. We walk here now and we walk around like we own ourselves, but we will lose this body one day and go back to God. Because we are God. We're God's creation. In Luke chapter 4, verses 5 to 7, the devil led Jesus up onto a high. And remember in the temptation, these are the words he said to Jesus in Luke. He says, the devil led him into a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to them, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. So he had control. He could have given it to Jesus. Jesus said, I'm not going to worship you. You should worship the Lord your God. And him only should you serve. So for the believer, because we now do not belong to the devil, we now have given our lives to God, we have become the possession of God. Not just a little bit of us, everything of us belongs to God. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19-20, Paul says, Well, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? I want you to grab your body. Grab something on your body. Okay? That, you got it? You feel it? That's the vessel in which the Holy Spirit lives. He's, this is the temple, and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. So that temple is his everything about that temple is his so your hand is his your foot is his your nose is his your ear is his your eye is his so what you think you can do with your body you should think about it again because it doesn't belong to you it belongs to him so your hand if it's his must do what he wants Your foot is at his, must take you where he wants. Your mouth, which is his, must say what he wants. Your eye, which is his, must look at what things that he wants you to look. Because he is the Lord of the temple. 
Everything that is in you is him and you are his. Everything that you think you possess belongs to him. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, and we've read this and we memorized this, that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a people, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, it says. So you belong to God. One of the things that will help you actually remember this is when you go through life, stop and talk out loud about what you're doing. I'm preaching a sermon and I'm using God's iPhone to do it. When I came this morning, I drove in God's utility to God's house over at Graham's place and I picked up God's bus to go and pick up God's people to bring them to God's fellowship place. When I finish this place, I will go out there and have a cup of coffee, which belongs to God. I will talk with God's people. I will collect God's children, put them in God's van, and run God's van to God's place at, at Jerome's. And there I will drop them off. On Monday, I will get in God's vehicle again and go to the job that God has provided for me so that I can earn God's money so that I can bless God's people with all God's wealth. I mean, one of the things we do, we've got this ownership. This belongs to me. We, we're like two-year-olds. It's mine. Don't touch it. It's mine. It, nothing is ours. It all belongs to God. This is God's wife. That's not even my wife. It's God's wife. He gave her to me. We see we get uncomfortable about thinking that we should somehow own something. We should take ownership out of our vocabulary and put God in our vocabulary so that we learn to recognize that everything that we have, everything that we possess, everything that we think that we can use, it all belongs to him. Everything. You know that nest egg that you're saving up for your retirement? Guess who owns that? And that extra money you put away for that holiday? Guess who owns that? I mean, if God, if God were to say to you, hey, listen, that money that you put away for your holiday, I want you to give it to such and such and such and such, would you? Olivia says, no, that's mine. <laughs> that, that's the question, you see. See how it grates us. We are in such a, a frame of mind in this society where we have learned to own things. And we think that ownership, ownership is our unquestionable right here. We are not communists. Communists don't own anything. We are capitalists. We have the right to own stuff. You know, but, you know Christian. Christian is not communist. It's not a democracy. Christian is not a communist philosophy. Christianity is a theocracy. And in a theocracy, the king owns it all. 
And King Jesus owns it all. And when King Jesus owns it all and we are his people, we have a beautiful community. We are one family. We have one purse. We have one thing. I mean, the the book of Acts shows us that these people came together and they recognized that everything they had belonged to God. And so they were willing to sell their excess and give it to the needs of the poor so that they were able to bless others. They, they They didn't have that sense of, it's all mine and I... When it came in and the deception walked in there, God struck that man dead. He says, you know, you know what? I'm going to give a part, but I'll keep part for myself. Now, that wasn't a problem. The fact that he thought they could deceive people in doing that and that, you know, that was the problem. And God says, I don't like that. But he showed it by striking in an eyes and Sapphira dead. We have to learn that it all belongs to God. Luke chapter 18, verses 7 to 8 says, And shall not the God... Shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry to him day and night, uh, through, though they bear long with him, though he bear long with him? I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, will he find faith on the earth? In this account, there was a woman who's coming to an unjust judge. And she was pleading with the judge. And the judge was saying, no, I don't want to deal with the matter. I don't want to deal with the matter. And kept on pushing the matter aside. <clears throat> She kept on coming back and coming back and coming back. Kept on praying and asking and asking and asking until the the unjust judge said, okay, I'll give it to you. And so she kept on asking and pleading and he said, okay, I can't stand it anymore. I'm going to give you what you want. And then then Jesus says, you know, this is is an unjust judge. What about God and his elect, his own people? If you ask God and his own people, won't he he find for you and, and do for you and look after you? I mean, if an unjust judge would, would, finally, would finally do this, how much more would God look after his elect? And then he says this incredible thing. He says this word. He says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? So we're living in the days when Jesus is going to come back again very soon. And one of the things that we're caught with here is, you know, we don't need to have faith in God because we have faith in ourselves. We, have, we believe in ourselves. We're told over and over again through through so many different movies that we watch, through so many different cartoons, from, from the littlest years we're just told to believe in yourself. Don't have faith in yourself. Be confident in yourself. You know, trust in yourself. We're told all oh, that's rubbish. So we, we go, we're a self-made man or a self-made woman. We have our business. We look up. We can trust in ourselves. We don't need to trust in God. You know, here Jesus is saying, when he comes again, will he find faith? Will he find people who, even though they're doing business, even though they're working really at the bottom, it's complete faith in Jesus. It's Jesus who provides. We had a lovely testimony last week with Jerome. He, he taught, he, his job was on, the, on a line, you know, this, with people rationalizing. A lot of jobs are going now. And, and Jerome was praying and believing God for security and trusting in Jesus for his work. And what happened? Other people were removed from sight. The leading hand was gone. The people who we thought would stay were, were, were sacked. And Jerome was, uh, was left in his, in his work situation. Trust. You can't control it. You can't control what's happening. You've just got to trust. I can't control what's happening in business. I can't make contracts come through the door. I have to just trust. When that contract is finished, I have to trust. I have to have faith that Jesus will continue to pro- provide. 
you have to trust and have faith. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will you, will you believe that God is in there looking after you? That if you cry out to God, he's going to look after you? Will you keep on crying out to God so they can keep on looking after you? Or will you rest in your own self? Everything belongs to God. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please God. He that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We've got to have faith in God. The second truth that, we, that God controls everything. So that makes it kind of important. You know, Everything that happens in the world is controlled by God. The good stuff and the bad stuff. God essentially is in control of everything. From the very beginning of creation to the very end, the last day that the created order will stand and when he will wipe away the sun and the moon and the stars and wash them all away, to that very point of time, Oh, we lost the thing, have we? We must remember to remove that seat later on so that we can get those things back. There it is, back again. It says in Isaiah 46, verses 9 to 10, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. So at the very beginning... In the Garden of Eden, when man and woman sinned, God looked at them and said to the devil, he said to the serpent, the woman's heel is going to crush your head. He said it like that. Like Jesus is going to come and going to destroy you, Satan. He prophesied that right at the very beginning. We go through thousands of years and then Jesus comes. All the way along there were prophecies about Jesus coming. Prophecies by David, prophecies by Isaiah, prophecies by the prophets, all telling us that Jesus was coming. God said something that had happened before. He was in control of everything. And when Jesus came, the devil didn't even know what was going on because if he had known that killing Jesus would have done what it did, he would never have killed him. The Bible says in Corinthians, he would never have killed Jesus if he had known what was at stake. Never. See, even the devil was controlled. Even the devil was working out God's plan because God controls all things. And at the end he says, when it's all over, when time is finished, I'm going to wrap up the old earth and the old heavens. I'm going to throw them away and there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. And it will happen just as God says. He controls everything. Even the nations of the world are controlled by God. They will rise up and march toward Israel and surround Israel to stamp Israel out. They'll think, we've got to get rid of the Israelites. You know, they've got to get rid of the Jews. You know what? They are doing that and they will do that, but they are controlled by God because that's God's plan. We're entering into a cashless society. You know, where you can pass your phone past a past a, a, a scanner or your, or your key card past the scanner. You don't need cash anymore to do business anymore. Why? Well, God told us that in the book of Revelation. We talk, he's in control of everything. Men are getting great ideas. That's a great idea, cashless society. You know, what a great, you know, this is not new. God knows the end from the beginning and he does this. He's in control of everything. 
And Isaiah, uh, in Psalms 33 verse 11, the counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generation. He knows and he decides. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11, I love this verse. It says, in him we have obtained an inheritance and being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That means that whether you get a promotion or not, it's all God's part and God's plan you got to settle down and don't get upset about stuff if if you had if Jerome had lost a job that would be a part of God's plan the fact that he kept this job is part of God's plan if you have work it's part of God's will if you have no work it's part of God's plan just call it just relax God is in control and he loves you and he cares about you and he'll look after you I'm talking to Bahati and Bahati told us that he walked 6,000 kilometers around Africa before he, was, he came to Australia as a refugee. Over 30 years, you were born in a refugee camp. And in that time, you, people came to different refugees camps. What, 70,000 odd people, 40,000 people in those camps. And you would run from one place to another, wouldn't you? To escape. So they, the, the armies would come in and hurt people and they would, you would run to another place, then run to another place. 6,000 kilometres, how far is that? You walk to Perth and find out. That's how, that's how, let me see your feet. Are they big? Right. Listen, but every step, I remember you said, you sat down one day and you cried. And you said, I, I, why do I have to run? Why do I have to keep on walking? Why do I have to keep on walking? And God says, I have a plan. He's in control. And so Bahati kept on walking and now he's here with us now. Because God has a plan. He's in control. And God knows why Bahati is here and why Claudine is here and why other people are not here. That God has a plan and he's in control and we need to rest in his plan and need to rest in his control and not get strained about stuff, not get worried about stuff. Take it easy. God owns everything and he's in control of everything. Rest, have faith in him. He's your Lord. He's your father. He's looking after you. In Psalm 75 verse 67, for all those who missed out on a promotion, and for all those who got the promotion, listen to what it says. For exaltation or a promotion comes neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south. But God is the judge. He puts down one and, and exalts another. In the end, all promotions are God's plan. Now listen, with, all, with everything that happens, there are always tests. With everything that happens in our life, there's always a challenge. And Pahati will tell you it's harder living in Australia than it is living in Africa. Well, in Africa, God is all you got. You get sick, you go find a doctor. No, there's no doctors. You go find your pastor. You say, Pastor, I'm sick. The pastor lays his hand on and he prays for you and God heals you because that's all you've got. That's all you've got. You've got faith in God and that's it. You come to Australia, well, we'll go to the doctor first before we go to the pastor or we go somewhere else or we work and we keep on working we don't go to church anymore because there's lots of money we can get here and we can just stay away from church 
And we get lots and lots of money so we can buy lots and lots of stuff so there can be lots and lots of, we can get important again, you know, because we can own a lot of stuff then. Yeah, it's worse living in, a, in Australia than it is in Africa. You've got more likely to go to hell if you live in Australia than you do if you live in Africa. You might die early in Africa but be righteous when you die, but you might die late in Australia and go to hell because you lost your focus on God when you're here. This is a war here. There's a war to do with your spirit. It's a war to do with your soul. Australia, God's in control though, and God's in control of Bahati, and he shows him this, and he understands this, and Bahati's a voice to his African friends and saying, look, you're here. Wake up. Don't lose your faith in God. Jesus brought you here. There's a job he wants you to do here. So we've got to remember those things. We've got to remember that God is in control of everything, that God owns everything, that God is in control of everything. The third thing we've got to remember is God provides everything. He owns all the resources and he controls every circumstance so he's able to provide for every need his people have. You've got to believe that. So when you're stressed out thinking about where you're going to get money for your electricity bill, when you're stressed out and you wonder where you're going to get money for milk, where you're going to get money for vegetables, or how are you going to pay for that insurance bill that's coming in or whatever? You've got to stop and think, God owns everything, God is in control of everything, and he can provide everything. I'll tell you a little story. When I was young, uh, younger, my son was just, Nathan was only what, one or two, one, one years old, I suppose. I don't think Jay, uh, Renee was born yet. So I was pioneering a church in, in the town called Lawson in, the, in New South Wales. And when I was pioneering that church, we were living very poor. We didn't have a lot of money. I worked a, you know, a few days in a nursery potting up plants and Jenny would work in an old people's home cleaning old ladies and men. But, it, that, but she had finished now because she was looking after my son. So it was just my part-time wage and we were, you know, there was lots of expenses. Now I pioneered a church, but God spoke to me when I pioneered the church not to take any money from the church. So the church, we had maybe this many in the church and we, there was there was um maybe two or three hundred dollars coming in every week but i would give that away i wouldn't keep any of it i said i just trust jesus i'll give it all away god will provide for me now i know you might think that's silly but you know back then god was teaching me to trust him so that i wouldn't become dependent on any individual but i would be completely dependent on him he was teaching me he was taking me my friends would say why don't you just cut yourself a wage from the church just live off the church god said you will never live off the church you will be employed doing like paul making tents but you will never draw a wage from the church i said okay well that's my lot you know it's not fair but i think you know you're in control so that's what god spoke to me about i was sitting in church we had a church meeting there we had an offering go around. At that point in time, we used to take up an offering. We don't take up an offering now. And God said to me, that $10 that's in your pocket, he says that you need, put it in the box. Give it away. $10. And I sort of talked to God. I said, $10? But, you know, I don't get paid until Thursday. Nathan has to eat. You know, there's nothing in the house. That $10 is just enough for us to get to Thursday. And Jesus said to me, trust me, I own everything, I control everything, I can provide everything, trust me. Now when Jesus tells you to do that, it's easy to rationalize and say, well, I, 
I can't do that. So I just said, okay, I'm going to trust you here. I mean, we won't die, but it will be hard. So I took the $10 and I put it away. Now, I don't collect the money. We had a treasurer. She collected the money. So I couldn't come back later and say, oh, I need it now and take it out of the box because the box wasn't at my place. They put it in the bank. It is gone. So when it was gone, it was gone. So I, now I had to tell my wife. So I come to Jenny and said, Jenny, you know the $10? that I, you know, Yeah, I gave it away. She just looked at me. Gave it away. God told me to give it away. So we packed up every. Remember that day? Jenny remembers it. We packed everything up. We put the sound system in the car. The car. Then I pushed the car to start the car because the car wouldn't start without the. It would touch start it. So Nathan was sitting in between the speakers. He's sitting in between the speakers. The speakers are rocking on each side of them. You remember that, Nathan? No, you don't remember that. We go home. We drive up our driveway, and there on the screen door in front of me, there's an envelope. An envelope. Never seen an envelope in the screen door before. So I walk up to it, pull the envelope out, open it up. There's $300 in the envelope. Now you see, God owns everything. He controls everything. And he provides everything. Now, had I not given the $10, I would have been feeling condemned because I, you don't trust. But when you trust God and you do what he asks, then he can show you, I own everything. I control everything. I provide everything. And you can just say, praise God. I learned something about his majesty. He's my father. He's looking after me. I don't fear. Why? Because he's looked after me. Now David says, I was once young and now I'm old. I have never seen the righteous go begging. Why? Because they are content because they know that their father owns everything, controls everything, and will provide everything that we need. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 says, And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. You know what? You have to get, you have to get poor before you can discover that. Because while you've got plenty... You don't need anything. It's when you've got nothing that you start to discover God's goodness. So while you sit with lots and lots of stuff around you, with loads of money in the bank, and you don't need anything, you will never really appreciate or explore the depth of God's provision. It's only when you learn to give it away and learn to give it away to people so that you are brought to that line of need, then you will see God come through. You know, we live in such fatness, we live in such affluence, and we get haughty, 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 hold it all together, hold it all together, and we never learn to see that attitude of God because we never give it away. God says, you know what, you can, you can trust me enough to give it all away and I will still be there for you. I will still give you. I will still provide for you. You know, we think, I oh, know, I have to save for anything. You don't have to save for anything. God owns it all. Amen. He provides it all. He looks out. You know, we have to get to a place where we are bold and confident in Him. 
Let God be the one who controls it. You know, I could go around this congregation, I could talk to different people in this congregation, and they can all tell you the same stories about how God was bountifully supplying. We place ourselves in a, in a situation where we think that we have to look after our own needs, where we could have faith in God, believe that God is and is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. What do you want your relationship with Jesus to be like? Do you want a dynamic? Or do you want it just ritualistic? The difference is simple. The dynamic relationship with God steps out of the boat and walks on the water. It takes a risk. It says, okay, God, if you own everything, challenge me accordingly. How many this week, if God spoke to you to be generous? I'm not saying be generous to the church. I don't collect a wage from the church, so I don't need your money. Well, we could use it for missions, I suppose. But there's no need. But if God says, you know, provide for something, do something, give something, would you move? Or would you rest in your own ability to control your own resources? Would you trust Jesus? And walk that walk with him. Stepping out of the comfortable, secure boat that you're in and walking on the water. What would you do? You see, I don't think that we ever get challenged that way in our society enough. We go through a global financial downturn, and that was pretty tough. We, I can remember we had a contract on, a number of com- contracts on that we, that we were going to start up. Our company was looking good. It looked like it was going to do well. Then the global financial downturn and and everything stopped. The people that we were going to build for, they had lost a lot of money in shares, so they said, we're not going ahead with the contracts. So Nathan and I were eight months without work. That's eight months. That's two-thirds of a year unemployed. What did we do? We go to the government saying, give some money. Well, we can't. We're self-employed. They won't pay us any money. We can't get the doll. What do we do? We trusted our wives to work. <laughs> well, our wives were working, but God provided more work for my wife, and she was working more. And so that covered our debts. And after eight months, when my money ran out in the bank, so there was nothing left in the bank, we got another job. You know, that? It's just, isn't God good? You know, when the money runs out, we get another contract. Well, say, so wasn't that lucky? No, that's not luck. That's God. God who owns everything, God who controls everything, and God who can provide everything. Abraham knew God who could provide. He, he called him Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. My God is sufficient for me. Matthew chapter 6, and it's a beautiful passage in Matthew chapter 6. He says, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles or unbelievers seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. I want you to say that, Dad knows my needs. Ready? One, two, three. Dad knows 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 my needs say it again 
Dad knows my needs. But you don't have to tell him. He already knows. He knows the difference between your needs and your greeds. <laughs> you might know your greeds, what you want. But he says, you know what? That new pair of vans aren't part of your needs, so, you know, it's not going to happen. And then he may give a set of vans to somebody else, just out of the blue. But God's in control. He can do that. And if he thinks that you don't need vans, that's okay. You don't need vans. And if you give vans to somebody else, it's his kindness and his goodness and his grace to somebody else. Rejoice with them. <laughs> Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its, the things of its own. Sufficient as the day is the trouble thereof. You don't have to worry about where it's coming tomorrow. Just trust God. He says these words in blue. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. No, that's a promise. You know, I, I'd say to you now, if I go bankrupt, and I'll lose everything. But it's because God determined that I should do that. He'll take it all away because he can do that. But if I die of starvation, it's probably not that he has died, not that he's supplied for me, you know? God looks after those who trust in him. He provides for your needs. You need to trust him. You need to go that journey with him and, 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 and let him provide for your needs. God is the provider of all of our needs. Those two things, three things, God owns everything, God controls everything, and God provides everything. So what can you do this week? How can you act that out this week? Well, number one, you can put stress away. Right now, you can, you can say, you know, this week I am not going to stress about finances. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to give it to you, God. I'm going to trust you that you know what's happening and you know what needs to take place in my life and you're going to provide for the needs that I have. You will not let me down and I'm going to trust you. So why don't we stand... And why don't we take all the stuff that builds up in our minds, all the worries and the stresses that we have in the back of our heads, all the bills and the commitments that are there. Why don't we put them in a big box and why don't we just give them to Jesus? And say, Jesus, you know what? I'm going to trust you today. I'm going to trust in your provision. I'm going to trust in your control. So let's stand. Now, all those things that you got worrying about, all those things that you're thinking about that are stressing you, and when you, when you turn everything else off, these things start to stress you. I want you to put, them, put your hands like that, like you're holding a box. Close your eyes so you don't feel silly. Now put all of those things in that box. Take some time. Unemployment. Rent payments, food commitments, school bills, car payments, maintenance, all the bills. Put them in the box. 
Now, I want you to lift the box above your head and I want you to throw it towards me. Throw it like that. Now, let it go. You know, don't worry about it. Just leave it now. God says to you, I am your inheritance. I am your father. I know what you need and I will provide for your every need. God says to you today, I own all things, can provide all things and am in control of all the circumstances of your life. If you but trust in me, I will lead you on. Seek me first and everything will be added to you. Father, we just thank you for you, for your great love for us and your provision for us. We thank you for these wonderful truths, Father, that you own everything, that you can control everything and you can provide everything for us. Lord, we put our trust in you again today. We cast our cares upon you for you care for us. Lord, we don't want to pick those up again. We just trust you. We look for those miracles, Father. We look for you to do the thing that we just trust you can do, Father. We earnestly seek you now and say, Father, help us to depend on you completely in all of our circumstances and our situations. We thank you for your love and your care for us, Father. We thank you that you know all of our needs. We ask that you would just continue to help us to stand strong in faith in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, God bless you.